Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, welcome to our series called Fearless. This is week two, and we're so excited that you're joining us to everybody watching online, and of course, all the folks down at Hohog. It is a thrill to be with you today. And uh, this week, I want to look at, at uh, an aspect of fear. Really, what I want to do is break down what fear really is, and then how we navigate our way through it and get to the other side of it. And, and so before we start, or as we start, let me uh, just read to you the definition of fear as found in the dictionary. It's this, it's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, uh, likely to cause pain or a threat. So fear is an unlikely, or is an emotion. Uh, it, it's something that actually is wired into us by God. It's kind of like a warning light on the dashboard of life, right? The, you're approaching something that's dangerous or there's a threat, and uh, and the light goes on, and you you know fear. That's it, it triggers something inside of us. Uh, it's meant to keep us safe. It's meant to keep us from walking over the edge of a cliff, right? Or from playing with electricity. When Christy and I were uh, fixing up our first house, one of the things we did is we went through and we replaced all the electrical outlets through the entire house. And I taught her how to do this. And so we went through, I went down to the basement, shut off the breaker to the bedroom that we were working in. And I showed her how to, you know, take an outlet out and put a new outlet in and wire it up and everything. And she was doing great. Well, the next day I was at work and she did another bedroom all by herself, but she didn't know about turning off the breaker first. So she did the entire bedroom hot and didn't shock herself. It was amazing. But that, but that is not a healthy, Christy could probably benefit from a healthy fear of electricity, right? Because it's designed to keep us from shocking ourselves. Um, now, she just got lucky or she's just that good. I'm not sure. But she didn't cross wires and shock herself. But, but generally speaking, if you're working with electricity, when you lose your fear of electricity, that's when you're going to get shocked. The Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is appropriate fear. It keeps us alive. It was a gift given to us by God. But what happens and where it goes wrong is when fear misfires in our emotions. See, when our emotions take over, we end up in trouble. Our emotions are a gift to us from God, but when they take over, we end up in trouble. And it, in the case of fear, when Fear takes over in our lives. It keeps us from living life. And, uh, and that is not God's best for us. That's not how he wants us living. And it's not how you want to live. It's a horrible way to live. Now, as I was thinking through kind of the dynamics of fear and how it works, I, I kind of categorized it a little bit. And I'm going to share with you some of the categories I came up with. This is not in the Bible. This is Chris Figueretti's trying to get his arms around and help, hopefully help the rest of us get our arms around how fear works and what it does in our lives. And the first kind of fear that I categorized was what I call paralyzing fear. Uh, it, it, and the idea here is what was designed by God as a warning to move forward with caution because, you know, something dangerous is up ahead. It becomes a paralyzing emotion that stops you from living your life. 
And that, it, we've saw this with COVID. They're, you know, be cautious, um, you know, be aware that it's dangerous and all of that. But also, don't let your don't let your emotions paralyze you. But there are people who are still locked in their houses. Now, when you step back and you look at the mortality rate and the data and all this other stuff, it shouldn't be a paralyzing fear. But for some people, it is. And that happens in all different areas of life. The second type of fear that I identified is what I call prepper fear. Uh, and the preppers are all like, what are you talking about? Um, because, we, you know, some of y'all are, are preppers. But the prepper fear is, is this. It's the false sense that you're in control of your circumstances because of the preparations you made in advance. Now, there's a little more to it than that. Um, really, what, what this backs into is the idea that you can control your safety and your environment, which you can't. Let me say that again. You can't control that totally. And this is why. So there's nothing wrong with having a, a couple weeks worth of food at the house in case there's an ice storm or something happens like that. Absolutely appropriate to prepare. There's nothing wrong with preparing for retirement and saving up in a retirement account. Nothing wrong with that. We're looking out at the future, seeing what's coming. We're preparing. But where this crosses over into a, kind of an emotional, out-of-control situation is when you're never prepared enough. You know, uh, for, 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 for folks that are, that are into uh, to guns, there's never enough ammo. For folks that are into food storage, well, I, I just need another week's worth of food storage or my retirement, I need, there's just never enough. You never have enough to be at peace. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't prepare for the future. Of course we do. Of course you're gonna prepare for your, prepare for your retirement. One of the situations that I'm watching on the horizon as our world is unfolding at the moment that is not something that I'm afraid of, but something that I'm aware of, and we should all be aware of. If, you're, if you've been watching what's going on in Canada with the truckers up there, right? They are, they're, they're protesting, it's a freedom movement, it's catching on around the world. There are rumblings of that happening here in the United States, probably sometime in March. This is just common knowledge, go out and you'll find it. Um, but if you watch the way the Canadian government is responding to the truckers and you watch the way the U.S. government has encouraged the Canadian government to respond to the truckers, uh, we're headed towards an impasse. All the truckers have to do is go, you know what? We're not driving anymore. A trucker strike and the grocery stores are empty in three days. That's we empty in one day if there's an ice storm. Trucker strike, three days. That's all the food that's in the grocery stores. If the trucks stop running... So at this point in time, should we all have a little bit of food in the house in case the grocery stores are, are empty? Because, the, because you can see that coming. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, and I'm certainly not afraid of that, but preparing is, is, is wise, and God teaches us to do that in his word. Where we run into trouble is when emotionally this gets away from us, and we can never have enough, and we're trying to control every situation. Third kind of fear is what I call phobia fear. This is when our fear warning light goes off, even when there's nothing to fear. You know, uh, the, the agoraphobia, people are afraid to go outside and open spaces. It's not exactly sure where it comes from. It's, it's, it's kind of an irrational fear or claustrophobia. People who can't go into elevators because it's just 
too tight and they're afraid. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a misfiring of our fear signal. And then there's what I call physiological fear. And physiological fear is when our body gets into a cycle of producing hormones that then produce more fear, causing a spiral or a feedback loop of anxiety, often leading to physiological panic. You've heard of people, or maybe you've experienced this yourself, having a panic attack. That's a physiological response. Those are stress hormones kind of running loose in your body and oftentimes are tied to one of these other fears that trigger that, and then they trigger each other. Then there's what I call hyperfear. And this is our fear warning system becoming too sensitive. We uh, misassess danger. We see extreme danger when there's really just something to be aware of and we fail to move forward once we prepare for that potential danger because we're just paralyzed by this hyperfear. We're reading the situation wrong. Our, our, the sensor that triggers that warning light somehow is, is misfiring. Fear, in the way that we're talking in this series, is when our response to fear Fear, that God-given, wired-in thing that keeps us alive. It's when our response to fear becomes counterproductive due to past emotional trauma, mental breakdown, chemical imbalance, spiritual attack, or overwhelming environmental stimuli. Think being shell-shocked after being in a war zone. And, and a misfiring of the system that's designed to keep us alive is not an uncommon thing. Guys, it's very common today, and it was, and it has been common, I think, throughout history because we read about it so much in the Bible and God telling us to get that under control and helping us get that out, out under control. The problem isn't really fear, though. The problem is how we respond to fear, how we assess fear, and what we do with fear. I was... Um, on a trip with a good friend and we were having a conversation about fear and trying to get to the root of what is at, at the very essence of, of fear. And uh, we both unanimously at the same time kind of came to this, we had this aha moment and it was like, it's really all about control. It's about who's in control. Are you in control or is God in control? And how much do you need to be in control. Because when you think you're in control, first of all, you're never in control of everything. You might be able to control a few things, but it's an illusion to think that you can control life. When you think you're in control, you're not. You're trying to control something that you can't. It's an illusion. This past week, a good friend of mine, uh, his mother passed away. She got up in the middle of the night to go get a drink of water, and she tripped and hit her head, and she was dead in an hour. Young Young, not an old person, and that could happen to any one of us. We don't have control, not even of the days of our lives. You know, I mean, how, how can we avoid that? Well, you just stay in bed all the time. Well, that's not how we're supposed to live. That, that's not even an option. But when you understand that God is in control, that he numbers the days of our lives. One of my, one of my um, favorite historical figures is a son of West Virginia, um, Stonewall Jackson, he was a general in the Southern Army during the Civil War, and, um, and uh, the reason they called him Stonewall Jackson is because he would sit on his horse, head and shoulders above 
all the rest of the, his line at the front of the line, and he would just stand there like a stone wall leading his troops, unafraid. His bullets come, came zinging by him. And he was a man of, of deep faith. He believed that his days were numbered, and that was in God's hands, not his hands, which enabled him to face the fear of bullets coming at him and stand there. Um, and um, just an, an amazing uh, courage that he had. But he wasn't trying to control the day of his death because he knew that wasn't in his control. Guys, there is a reality of fear, but there is a spirituality that defies fear. I see this as, you know, you read about the Christians in the second and third century who would go into the cities during the, the plagues as everybody who had means to get out of the city would leave and go live in the country, the Christians would go in at the risk of their own lives to bury the dead and take care of the sick and the, the dying. doesn't mean that they had, it didn't cross their mind that, hey, I could die by doing that, this. It just meant that they had the courage to face that fear and go do what they knew needed to be done anyway. I love how Mark Twain defined courage. He says, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. Courage isn't, doesn't mean that, that we have no fear. It means we face down our fears, we overcome our fears, we move past our fears. And one of the best biblical examples of this we have uh, is found in, in the book of Joshua. If you have a Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, if you have a, a paper Bible, you have an index in the front, and it says Joshua, and it gives you a page. And if you go to that page, that will be Joshua chapter 1. Uh, if you have a device, click on Joshua uh, chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to start there. Joshua was Moses' assistant. Joshua had been working with Moses for 40 years um, as they led the people of Israel through the desert. And, and uh, Moses, as he reaches the end of his life, uh, they, they come up to the promised land. And, um, and everything is handed over to Joshua, who was kind of the guy in the number two seat. And uh, Moses by all accounts, and historians for thousands of years have counted Moses one of, if not the greatest leader who ever lived. And now Moses is dead, and the, and the leadership baton is being handed off to Joshua, who's lived in Moses' shadow his entire life. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. So put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a moment. Joshua uh, has lived in, in Moses' shadow, the greatest leader in the history of the world, for 40 years. He is now in 
charge. These are big shoes to fill. God says, I want you to lead all these people. There's about a million to two million people that he has with them somewhere in that range. And he wants them, him to lead them across the Jordan into enemy territory, hot territory, while the Jordan River is at flood stage with women and children. He's got a lot to be afraid of. And on the other side, there's Jericho. And Jericho is this fortified, armored city that is going to stand against him as he comes across. Joshua has a lot to be afraid of, a lot to, to live up to. He doesn't have any of the, the power moves that Moses had. I mean, Moses, you know, he had a, God had given him a stick that would turn into a snake and other things that would kind of kind of convince people that God was with Moses. Joshua didn't have any of those things. He was going to have to step out and see if God came through, which God did, but he didn't have those things to start. He's walking in, into Moses' um, footsteps and, 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 and shoes, and what if it doesn't go well? I mean, he's got the fear of failure, the, uh, a very uncertain future, uh, an army and an enemy to face. He could lose his job or more significantly his life. Or what if he's not the guy? And, and, and God speaks into Joshua's fears. And the reason I know Joshua was afraid is because the way the rest of this passage comes out. God says over and over again, be courageous and be strong. Be courageous and be very courageous and be strong over and over and over again. Joshua was clearly dealing with these emotions. And this is what God says to deal with Joshua's fear. He says, I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What God is saying to Joshua is the God I was, the God you've witnessed over the last 40 years is the God that I am and the God that I will be. It's easy to get consumed with the river that's right in front of you. It's easy to fixate on the walls that you're going to face in the near future as you go towards Jericho. But let me remind you of who I am. Let me remind you of who I am. This is such an important component of courage, guys. Because it's not about you being in control. You're not. It's about God being in control, and he is. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, as Joshua did. Now, in verse 6, God comes, comes very, very strong. He says, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Strong and courageous. Again, back to this Mark Twain concept of courage, not being the absence of fear, but, but our ability to resist fear, our mastery of fear, our ability to move forward in spite of our fears. And that's what God is saying to Joshua. God's not saying, Joshua, you know, just uh, suppress your, your, this emotion called fear and pretend that it doesn't exist. That is a recipe for all kinds of mental health issues and physical health issues. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, 
face your fear, overcome your fear, move forward. Be strong and be what? Courageous. And then he says something really interesting, and I want to come back to this at the end, but, but he says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, as we read that, it would be easy to walk away with this concept that, well, if I follow all God's rules, then God is on my side. But I don't think that's what God is saying here. And I want to come back to that. I'm going to hit pause on that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Then in verse 9, God says the whole courageous and strong thing again. And uh, he says this, have I not commanded you? So he's, he, I mean, God is just nailing this home, driving it home with, um, with Joshua. Be strong and courageous. This is how I know he was afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I, again, I don't think God is saying, Joshua, deny the fact that you have the emotion of fear. I don't think that's what he's saying. But I think what he is saying is do not let that fear dictate your actions. Do not be mastered by that, that emotion. And then he goes on and says, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I have memorized that verse. I refer to that verse often. Uh, as a leader um, in, in my leadership career, uh, there have been many times where the next decision is terrifying and or the opposition is strong or whatever, and where I have come back to that verse, and by memorizing that, just as he said up above in verse 7, be careful to, to, to keep these words on your lips, that has helped me remember that God is God and that I am to move forward in spite of my fears and that he is with me. Um, and if you struggle with fear, memorize Joshua 1, 9. It will help. And, it will, and it's instructive because the antidote to fear, it's courage. It's not pretending you're not scared. And here's what happens. Here's, here's, here's the practical dynamic of courage. When you can find the courage to overcome the emotion of fear, it breaks the power of fear in your life. And the secret to finding the courage is to remember that God is God and God is in control and God is with you. <clears throat> the interesting thing about courage is that it's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's something we decide to do uh, in spite of the emotion. It's about the choices you make, not the emotions that you feel. Super important. You know, Joshua 1.9 was a conversation between God and Joshua. And, uh, and one of the things we try not to do is misappropriate promises in the Bible. The idea that God makes a promise to, to someone and then we claim that promise out of context for ourselves. And, and so we want to be careful not to do that with Joshua 1.9. But I really do believe that because of the way the Scripture unfolds, 
because of the fact that 251 times in the scripture we see God saying, do not be afraid or do not fear. Uh, and, and with similar language, I'm with you, all of that. But this is for all of us. God, God, God speaks this into our lives. Uh, he speaks it into all of his people's lives throughout the history of, of the book. Well, in 2 Timothy 1.7 Apostle Paul said this, he said, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Doesn't make us timid. It, it, it gives us power. It gives us self-discipline. It gives us the ability to push forward in spite of whatever emotion we're wrestling with. God's spirit gives us freedom over fear. It gives us joy in spite of our circumstances, peace in the midst of whatever we're dealing with. Well, Joshua leads the children of Israel across the Jordan River, and God shows up, and he, he backs the water up, and they cross over on dry land, and they get everybody over to the other side, and they're ready to go, and they put together a plan. Uh, Jericho is the first city they're going to come to, so they have this plan to, to siege the city of Jericho, and they get their plan all together, and jo Joshua grabs about 40,000 men and they head off towards Jericho and they're heading down the road and we're going to flip over a couple pages, a couple chapters to Joshua chapter five. And the craziest thing happens in Joshua chapter five, verse 13. It says this, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Well, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us? We're for our enemies. So Joshua has got, got this 40,000 men. They're coming down the road. There's a, got one guy standing in the middle of the road. He's got a sword out like this. And Joshua's like, 40,000. All right, we're good. So he goes up and he asks him and he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he answers, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, it says Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Something powerful happened here. Joshua is standing in front of his 40,000 troops. He is the commander of the, of the army of Israel, and he falls to his face. Clearly, this wasn't just some crazy dude with a sword who wanted to take on 40,000 people. The power of God was in this moment, and Joshua knew it. And he falls on his face before this, this guy with the sword. And then the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Now, years before Moses had a conversation with a burning bush <laughs> and, the, and the Lord was in the burning bush and the Lord told him to take off his sandals. This was one of those, I'm having a moment with the Lord um, situations. And theologians believe that this, this person uh, it wasn't an angel, it was the Lord. This is one of those situations sprinkled throughout the Old Testament where we see Jesus show up. 
And Joshua knows that he is before the creator of the universe and he falls on his face. And he says, what message do you have for me? Now, what's fascinating about this is that Joshua goes, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he goes, neither. I'm not for you. And wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you're not for us? I mean, I'm God's man. I mean, you know, just four chapters before, you promised you'd never leave me or forsake me, right? I'm leading God's people into God's promise at God's timing. I'm, I am doing God's thing. What do you mean you're not for us? I mean, what, what, about, what about Egypt? I mean, what about the plagues of the Red Sea? What about the Jordan River, for crying out loud? You backed up the Jordan River. What do you mean you're not for us? What do you mean neither? And God is saying to Joshua, guys, this is so subtle, but I am telling you, this is the secret. This is the secret to defeating fear in your life. God is not saying, or God is saying, I'm not on your side, but you can be on my side. He's saying, I'm not on your side. Now, does he love you? Yes. Did he send his son to die for you? Absolutely. Has he been pursuing you? For sure. But it's not like God's all excited to be on your team. He invites you to be on his. And, and here he's saying, Joshua, are you with me? Not am I with you. That's not the question. And then he lays out the most ridiculous plan. For Joshua, he goes, okay, I know you have your battle plan and we're going to siege and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and 40,000 soldiers are all really excited about it. We're going to do something completely different. What I want you to do is I want you to walk to, Jeru or to uh, Jericho and uh, walk around the city for six days. Right. And then on the seventh day, we're going to put the band out front and they're going to blow some horns and it's going to be epic. And Joshua gets up, puts his sandals on, goes back to his generals and his troops and goes, okay, here's the plan. God, are you on our team? Are you going to back up this plan that we have? And God's like, nope, not on your team. Are you on my team? I've got a plan. This is the secret to freedom from fear. This is it. Guys, we think, if you're a follower, if you're a, a Christian and you church goer, we think we pray a prayer, we go to church, and then when things get hard, we pray and we ask God to, to fix it for us. We, got, we get God on our side. But that's not how God works. The secret to victory over fear in your life is not getting God on your side, it's getting on His. God says to us, in spite of everything you've done, every mistake you've made, you can be on my team. So surrender. Surrender your life, your agenda, your will. And then all of a sudden, you don't have to control everything anymore. Your focus is obeying God and trusting him for the outcome. That's faith. It's not controlling everything anymore. And if control is the root, at the root of fear, and I believe it, it is so much there. At the core of debilitating fear is the need to control everything. And God says, surrender it to me.
surrender it to me. Joshua in chapter 1. God says, be strong and courageous, I'm with you. And then back to that little passage that I said I want to come back to. He says, know my word, live my word, obey me. And my word is, is the, that's the clear, that's the main, that's the plain. You know that. You're going to have moments where I'm going to show up on the road and I'm going to, where I'm going to show up on the road and I'm going to, going to steer you. But the main and the plain is like, know my word and obey that. Stay on my team. And now in chapter 5, God's God saying, I'm not, with, I'm not with you or you with me. And here's how. I'll know. You're going, to, you're going to obey me. And in the end, Joshua does. And the walls of Jericho come down. But before Joshua could conquer Jericho, he had to be conquered by God in here. Total submission, total surrender. And the reality is most of us aren't looking to be conquered by God. We just want God to be on our team, to make things go well with us the way we think well should be. Yet that is the very thing that will bring us peace. And it's a daily exercise. It's daily coming before the Lord and going, what does my Lord have to tell me today? It's coming before him every day and saying, I'm with you, Lord. I'm on your team. It's obeying him even when it doesn't make sense. It's getting his word into every nook and cranny of our lives and as best we can, obeying him and living lives and surrendered obedience. Let me ask you, whose kingdom are you building? Whose agenda are you pushing? Whose side are you on? Yours or his? Because guys, it's when we surrender, it's when we obey that we get on his team. And that's when life really begins to work. And when we do, peace will come. His presence will lead us. His courage will fill us. His joy will overflow in us. Surrender evidenced by obedience is the secret. And coming to him and saying, what message do you have for your servant? Guys, God loves you so much. He is so for you but he isn't going to follow you and he's not going to join your team. He invites you to join his. And when you do, you will fear less. Lord, I pray that you would make your word a reality, not just in our hearts and minds, but in our lives. God, I pray for, for those of us that are just struggling with control issues and trying to get you on our team, that we would be able to today surrender and join yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.